Well, we won't be getting what could have been the most thrilling past the popcorning trial of 2023. I feel robbed. I feel robbed. We're all robbed. This is the Fox News Dominion voting system thing that we talked about a few episodes ago. Dominion makes voting machines and it was suing Fox, the media giant, accusing it of intentionally spreading false claims that the 2020 election was rigged and that the voting machine company was part of some elaborate plot to steal the election. It really was shaping up to be an edge of your seat court case, wasn't it? So good. So good. But Fox decided to settle... Instead, for the cool price of 1.2 billion New Zealand dollars, instead of going to court. So we just have to imagine what could have been. Yeah, maybe there will be like a, a, a succession spin-off that can look at the possible permutations. Not that the anyway, two are linked. Not have... that the two are linked. Yeah, not that the two. No, of course not. In case we were dropped this thing. Better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. Anyway, kia ora, This is Unusable. I'm Emil, and I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. We've got the exclusive results from a very in-depth and very scientific stuff investigation into what happens when you order a beer at various pubs around the country. Also, what's the deal with the free trade deal between Aotearoa and India? Have you got a colleague who's a bit of a slob? An expert joins us to explain just how to confront them. Awkward silence. And it's a not man, me! <laughs> and a man <laughs> broke into Auckland Zoo's rhino enclosure, so what better time to learn a bit about rhinoceroses? We've got all of that coming up in a moment to your unusable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Stuff like support surprise as much as the next media organisation and we are putting our hands up for one with this next story. A bunch of stuff journalists from around the country have gone where, to be fair, probably many journalists have gone before the local pub uh, to find out what they got and how much they had to pay if they simply ordered a draft beer. And forming part of this crack team of investigative journalists was none other than Imogen Wells. Now, this was a question and issue very close to my heart, so I had to give it everything. I even took my scales along to the pub to weigh my beer before and after. Because it really does differ depending on where you go, right? You go to a brewery, sometimes the glass is tiny, but you're paying top dollar. Now, I went to the tasting room on Courtney Place. Kia ora, can I grab, what's the Emerson's Reverb like? Uh, pretty hoppy. I can give you a taster if you Perfect. like. Perfect, thank you. Ooh, way too hoppy for me. <laughs> um, I'll just go for an Emerson's Pilsner, please. Pilsner, Thank perfect. you. Great. There we go. And how many mils is that, sorry? Uh, 425 mils. Brilliant, thank you. $13. Great, thank you so much. Thank you. Now here to reveal the full investigation's findings is Stuff's food editor, Emily Brooks. Kia ora. Kia ora. So what did this investigation that a bunch of very brave journalists, including myself, took part in reveal? What it revealed is that a beer is no kind of standard measurement in pubs across Aotearoa. So we had our reporters go in and just order a a draft beer. I'll have a Panhead Supercharger. Mm -hmm. I'll have a Max Gold. If they were prompted, they were told to order a pint, but they would just take the beer that the person behind the bar poured for them. And we found a huge discrepancy in the amount of beer that they were getting. So we went all the way from 570 mils, which Mm -hmm. is a standard imperial pint. A proper pint. A proper pint. A a pint. 
all the way down as low as 425. What's the deal with New Zealand's varying degrees of beer size, Emily? The deal, I think, is that we don't have any, there's no stipulation on what constitutes a pint or a beer, but individual businesses will just decide what they're going to pour as a standard measurement. Mm. And because there is no official stipulation, I believe in the UK it is a legal yes. requirement. I think you're that right. A beer Gosh, I love precisely. That. It is 568 mils. Yeah, actually. a pint is a pint, yeah, just like a, a kilogram is a, is a kilogram. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, I think that should happen in New Zealand. But then I looked up pint on Wikipedia, mm. which helpfully has a table of all of the many different pints in the world. And there are a lot... Um, so the South Australian pint, 425 mils. The US liquid pint, 473 mils. Uh, the Imperial pint, 568. Of course, the Scottish pint, uh, which is about 1.7 litres. <laughs> it's a jug. It's a jug. <laughs> no, 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 it's a pint. pint. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily, part of this um, uh, calculus here is also about the idea of sort of value for money. And we've got the weight, but what about the price? How much did that vary around the country? Well, interestingly, the price was quite consistent, although, of course, consistent across quite different volume measures. Um, you were paying around about $13, $14 for almost all of these beers. <sighs> but I will note that in the great city of Palmerston North, <laughs> yes. you can get 500 mils of Max Gold for $9.50. Oh, it's and that's not an RSA, people. That's an Irish pub. I'm packing and leaving. It's 2009 in Palmy still. I love it. Great student city, keeping those prices low. Speaking of beer glasses, Mo, I went to Germany on exchange when I was in sixth form, and I stayed in a city called Cologne. And in Cologne, they have a special beer called Kolsch, and you are meant to drink Kolsch in tiny little 200ml glasses. Um, and it was great. Yeah, 200ml glasses. So, like, yeah, just a little baby glass. Yeah. And you would drink many of them in a sitting, and um, eventually you would be surrounded by cold glasses, and you would feel like a giant, and it was great. But let us know where you get your pints. Where is the best pint, or fake pint, or almost pint in New Zealand? Let us know on Instagram, at NewsableNZ. Ah, oh, 2011. Adele's Rolling in the Deep was the biggest song of the year. New Zealand won its first Rugby World Cup since the 80s. Donald Trump was still best known as the maverick host of The Apprentice. It was, in many ways, a simpler time, am I? A simple, simple time. But it was also the year then-Prime Minister John Key made it a priority to set up a free trade agreement with India. But fast forward 12 years, and well, nothing's really happened. Current national leader Christopher Luxon, though, is banging the exact same drum today. In the meantime, a whole lot of other international suitors have popped up. But why is this? What would the benefits of an India FTA be to New Zealand and New Zealanders? Well, joining us now is former diplomat and trade negotiator Stephen Jacoby. Hello, Stephen. Hi there. Kia ora. Why is everyone so keen on India right now? Well, it's because India is booming. Booming economically, finding its place in the world, coming back very strongly after covid and I think a lot of people are looking to India, to its vast market, its huge population, uh, its quite extraordinary uh, creativity to, um, to provide a new source of growth in a world which is increasingly looking kind of very difficult. So for a whole load of reasons, people are looking towards India. 
What's the hold-up in terms of getting a free trade agreement over the line? I thought everyone loved New Zealand and wanted a slice of this pie. That's right. How could you not love hobbits? <laughs> but, um, look, it's not been for want of trying. Let's put it that way. Yes, uh, John Key did uh, uh, inaugurate um, a process towards a, an FTA, actually a negotiation. And, you know, there were at least eight rounds of negotiations. So kind of our hopes were dashed, if you like. And the reason is because neither um, India nor New Zealand, for that matter, are prepared to make the compromises which are necessary to get this FTA across the line. In India, they don't want to open up their market to agricultural products from New Zealand. And in New Zealand, I have to say, we are not that keen about opening up our immigration settings to more people from India, even though, as far as I'm concerned, it could solve a lot of problems that we've got right now. Stephen, I mean, big picture here, what would the impact of an India FTA actually have on normal people's lives in New Zealand? Or is it more a sort of geostrategic advantage that we would get from this? It would have very little immediate impact in the sense that you wouldn't be able to tell whether uh, we had, uh, uh, you know, achieved this Overnight. tremendous milestone. <laughs> um, because India is not really the source of, you know, low-cost consumer goods mm. uh, like China was at one point and probably is not quite the same these days. But if they are working in an industry that has exposure towards India that could do business there, maybe they have family that are going to be employed in one of those um, businesses, then there would be a difference because it would give New Zealand exporters additional you know, sources of revenue. Stephen Jacoby, thank you so much for your time and for breaking that down for us. Thank you. Emma, do you remember the last time you had to work from home? Had to work from home? Mm. Um, gosh, that would have been the beginning of last year when we were in red light. Mm. Was it? Yeah, what about you? Yeah, probably the same time. Although I suppose it all blends into one, doesn't it? What I do remember <laughs> is making lots of breakfast food, you know, breakfast for uh, dinner, lots of breakfast for dinner. Uh, I did a lot of laundry. A lot of laundry. Well, uh, hey, even though many of us are now back in the office, at least semi-regularly, some people seem to have forgotten how to behave, I think might be the best word here. Uh, and a, uh, a training and development expert in Australia says things like lateness and language and physical appearance are spiralling out of control and apparently creating some big problems. And that very expert is here to talk to us now. Peter Grist, welcome to Newsable. No worries. Thank you very much for having me today. Lovely to have you here. Peter, I work in a corporate office. Um, if I want to roll up to work in a dressing gown, I should be able to. Why is this wrong? Yes, well, Emil, that's a good point. But of course, uh, organisations have brands and they have an image to upkeep. And it might not be so appropriate for you to be rocking up in your bathrobe, potentially, that might, you know, even fall open at, a, at the wrong time. That would be, uh, that's not something that anyone wants to see in the workplace. So um, unless we have some standards, uh, who knows where people will go with that sort of thing. I definitely don't want you showing up to work hey, in your dressing gown, Emil. Hey, Please do not. Did I make it personal? <laughs> you brought it up. Um, Peter, seriously, though, what are some of the issues you're seeing here, people getting back into the office, getting back into their office life? Well, Imogen, when we're left around our own devices, we can all develop some pretty annoying habits. And I think there's been a fair bit of that actually happening over COVID. Things like hygiene, bit of a difficult one. No one can really tell whether you've got bad breath or you've got BO if you're, uh, if you're actually on a call, yeah? But of course, when you come back into the office, that, that becomes an issue that can be uh, quite annoying for your co-workers. Even how loud you speak on the phone. 
you know, when you're in the office all these uh, for a couple of years, well, you put the phone up and you can yell as loud as you like. But when you're sitting next to someone, that can become pretty annoying. And then oh, even the last one, kitchen etiquette. Um, for anyone that's worked in a large office, they will know that the kitchen can cause more problems than anything else. So what we're seeing is uh, as people are coming back into the office, some of these habits are not quite so appropriate to when you're working alongside a colleague, but we're also seeing a dramatic increase in the professionalism that is expected even if you are on a video call these days. So at the start of COVID, it might have been all right, uh, Neil, to rock up in your pyjamas. But now that we're seeing that it's become part of BOU, that's not quite so uh, acceptable anymore. How is it best to approach situations like that, someone being a bit grobby at work? Because like you say, it's a sensitive, yes. awkward topic, hygiene, presentation, cleanliness, talking on the phone too loudly. Like, How do you bring that up yeah. with someone? They, they can be very, tip, um, uh, I guess, sensitive topics to bring up with people, but what you actually need is you need a framework. You need to be able to, you know, particularly for inexperienced leaders who um, say are a little nervous about bringing the topic up, you need some steps that you can follow that will really help you actually lay out a constructive conversation between two people, yeah? If you go into it thinking that it's going to be an argument and then you start throwing around a whole lot of very subjective terms um, and observations, then we know that that can go downhill very quickly. But if we actually start, you know, talk about the purpose of the conversation we're having, we talk about the steps we're going to take to have the conversation, and then we talk about the impact that that person's behaviour is having on their co-workers or the productivity of the office, and, and help them understand that impact, most people will actually go, oh, my God, I didn't realise, and, and what do you want me to do differently and how can I help you? Yep. Peter Gross, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. No worries. Thank you very much for uh, having me. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tad to you about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing up in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Keepers of Auckland Zoo have had to deal with a less than welcome presence in the enclosure that is home to two southern white rhinos and some antelopes. Yes, a visitor decided to jump into the area and then take a bath in the rhino's little lake. It's obviously a very unsafe thing to do and the man was quite quickly and safely taken out of the enclosure. But it got us into a bit of a rhino mood. You know, a rhino rabbit hole. A rhino rabbit hole to mix our <laughs> animal-related metaphors. Uh, it, you know, it got us thinking about the rhinos mm. from their perspective and how they might react to something like this. And so we called up rhino expert Roan Plotz, and he's on the line now to discuss. Hey, Roan. Lovely to be with you. Now, I imagine it's not advisable for a human being to climb into a rhino enclosure at a zoo. Both uh, for the rhino and for the person, it's not a good idea, no. If you focus on the person for a second, white rhino are the second largest land mammal on earth. So they get up to about two, and three, two to three tons. And so getting to close proximity with an animal that large, you, you will come off second best. But also for the rhino, the stress of a species that in captivity struggles to reproduce at the best of times. Mm. Um, but to have someone come in that they're unfamiliar with 
that just adds to a level of stress, if you like, or added stress to the to them. Are rhinos particularly aggressive? Yeah, look, I wouldn't say they're particularly aggressive. One of the key things with rhino is that they don't see very well. Um, so they they've very large-bodied, big rapier-like horns, can hear very well and smell incredibly well, but their eyesight isn't great. And so for for some species, the one that I did my PhD on is called the black rhino. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the other African species that exists in, in Africa, of course. Um, it, it is a bit more aggressive. Um, whereas a white rhino, which is the rhino we're talking about with the relation to the zoo incident, they're not as aggressive generally. Um, if they get startled, they'll, they'll run. And there's a reason we call rhinos a collective group of them a crash is because they, they crash through things, not necessarily to attack, but definitely just to get out of there or to get somewhere else if there's a problem. And because they don't see you very well, if you're in the way, you'll just get, you get in the way, basically. Ryan, you know, it's not every day that we get a rhino expert on to talk about rhinos. And so I wonder whether you'd like the, to take the opportunity to tell us some interesting rhino facts. One that I learned today, courtesy of a Google image search from Imo, is that they have cute little fluffy ears. Yeah, the ears are like I was saying to you before about how, how important their smell is and their hearing is in particular as well. And their ears can actually rotate independently and they can actually move those to pick up and detect sound, which you can imagine. Um, is, is a pretty useful when, you, when you're trying to avoid things in, in the bush. Great stuff. Brian, it's been lovely picking your brain about rhinos for a few minutes. We really appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks, guys. So the collective noun for a group of rhinoceroses, hang on, what's the plural of rhinoceros? It's got to be rhinoceros. It's got to be rhinoceroses, doesn't it? It sounds, oh, it no, feels no, weird to say. It's got to be rhinoceri. Hang on. Rhinoceri. Oh, bull ring. Yeah, it's just rhinoceros. Rhinoceri. It should be rhinoceri. That sounds better. But it's also not rhinoceros. I'm pleased to confirm the internet has given me. <laughs> it's also not rhinoceros. Oh, bull ring. Rhinoceros. Anyway. Here we go. Fun facts. That's news for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. If you enjoyed this episode and know someone who would also enjoy this podcast, uh, and of course you do, please do share it with them. Spread the word. And remember to follow us across all your social channels. We're on Insta and TikTok. Just search for us at NewsableNZ. Happy Thursday. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.